This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you've got that Bible, turn with me, Exodus chapter 3. And I know I promised you we'd be in John, so I'm not mistaken, we're headed there intentionally. Because John's doing something a little bit different in his gospel. And to get what John's doing, uh, as we started the service, we have to remember, you got to know the full story. You can't just drop in uh, and pluck out your favorite verse. You need to understand what God is doing in its entirety. So Exodus chapter 3, we encounter Moses. Uh, But this is Moses as he's tending a flock. And as he's tending the flock, we're going to learn who he's caring for. Whose flock is it? Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 1,500 years uh, is the approximate time period from this event until Jesus' birth. So we're, we're jumping in the wayback machine. 1,500 years before Jesus is born, before John would ever put pen to paper, uh, to share of what the life of Jesus was, we have Moses gathered looking at a bush that's aflame and it's not being consumed. If you've got your Bible there, I'm just going to read the verse 3 and 4, but not display it. But here's 3 and 4, and it talks about the reaction. The reaction of Moses, the reaction of God to what's unfolding. Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw, he turned aside to see... God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now, I want you to note in verse 3 and 4 from just what you heard, Moses isn't hiding from it. It says he turned aside to what? Turned aside to, to see. So Moses isn't turning aside to not see. So you're, you're, the English mind has you thinking that what? Moses is turning away. He's not turning away, he's turning aside to see. So it's just, if he was here, the bush is consumed, so he's turning aside to see it. He wants to know it. And then you get the voice, the voice says, Moses, Moses, and then it sounds like a great missionary text, doesn't it? Here I am. We've got hymns that sing about this. Here I am, Lord, send me, send me. It sounds more like this is a a Samuel kind of call out who it is. You know, just say, here I am. Well, you got Moses, here I am. Moses doesn't want to hide. (laughs) yet when's the last time that we heard god speaking or not last the first time this encounter of god speaking go back to adam and eve it's a very different setting (laughs) god calls out to them in the garden and says hey where are you and they're hiding moses isn't hiding yet so the question is what's going on Who is it that Moses is encountering? Why is it that right now he's not concerned? He just wants to see a bush that's on fire and that's not burning up. Uh, This is like social media, ladies and gentlemen. You see something you can't turn away from. It's just that cool. You're like, this is really cool. I see it and I am glued to it. And someone looks at you and goes, it could hurt you. I can't stop looking. So he's here. This is a bush not being consumed. He's locked in on it. But we're going to watch more unfolds 
as he learns about who it is that is surrounding him. On June 6th, now more than 60 years ago, pushing 70, on the D-Day invasion, the 101st Airborne Division used small little kids' toys to save their lives. They were called cricket clickers. It's just a, a common little clicking device that kids would play with. Uh, and they only worked, now they didn't break, for 24 hours. That was all that they were to last for. And it was only given to this one division. Now it's been immortalized in some movies, and but only for 24 hours was that device used. And it was so a soldier parachuting in could identify whether the thing in front of him was friend or foe without having to speak a word. And you just make a little clicking noise and a response would come back if it was someone that you could actually be okay with or whether or not you were in a bad position. Well, this is the question that we are asking as this bush is here and we're looking at it and it's on fire and not being consumed. Is this a friend or is it not? We want to get to identifying what's taking place here. Well, the text continues, if you're still in Exodus 3, verse 6, and he said, so now we're getting to the cricket clicker portion uh, of the encounter Moses has with this bush. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And now it changes. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. See, when he knew who it was, now it's changed. At first, it was what? Ooh, bush on fire, not burning up. I really want to stare at this. I'm looking at it. He understands who it is that he's in the presence of, and his whole demeanor changes. He wants to make sure that he understands what's happening, that he wants to know what's going on. And we have this phrase, I am. Throughout Exodus 3, this phrase will come up again and again. Uh, because God will identify himself uh, when Moses asks, well, who, who should I say that you are when you actually receive the Ten Commandments? And God says, tell them I am who I am. Now, why am I spending time in Exodus chapter 3 on this day? I'm spending time in Exodus chapter 3 this day because John uses seven times the I am statements. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. Again and again, he uses these phrases. And he's using them because people want to know who is Jesus. And they want to know who Jesus is because things have changed since Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written likely in around 50 to 60 A.D. We'll kind of broad brush this to give you a time frame. It's 30 years later when John records the Gospel of John. It's 90 A.D. Now think of things that have changed. It may not seem big to you, but hopefully you'll start to realize Jerusalem is now what? destroyed the temple is gone see all the things that had them real excited about like jesus coming back quickly now they're kind of wondering i'm not sure if it's all going to really well i'm just not sure and then there's another man that pops on the scene uh probably a name that you don't know but he's impacted your life and you didn't even know it his name is serinthus anyone ever heard of serinthus before all right you guys ready to meet someone you never knew impacted your life Serinthus is an early heretic that comes into the church. And he comes in and he does this thing. Serinthus challenges the church and uses two verses that you will probably know, yeah, we learned this when we were reading the Bible, you bet. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. This is what uh, the Orthodox Jews put on the frontlets on their head. and their back. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. 
The great Shema. Yeah, the great Shema. Well, Serinthus goes, yeah, the great Shema says there's one God. So this Jesus guy isn't really God because we've only got one. Deuteronomy 5, 7, have no other gods before me. Again, Deuteronomy 5, this is when the, the second time we hear the Ten Commandments spoken. So he uses Deuteronomy 6, 4, uh, uh, he uses Deuteronomy 6, 4 and Deuteronomy 5, 7 to say, God the Father is the only God, so Jesus is a lesser God. Jesus is a demigod, and Serinthus starts to rip at the early Christian church. Historians suspect that it is actually Serinthus and his false teaching that is what infects Galatia. So when Paul goes, you're following another gospel in his opening chapter of Galatians chapter 1, he goes, how could you follow another teaching? It's likely Serinthus and his false teaching that is infecting here. So when John writes in 90 AD, there's a new problem, a new polemic. And John's writing, you ready for this? John's being contemporary. I know. You guys are like, well, the Bible's not contemporary. It's old. Well, then you've forgotten the Bible actually lived in context, in history, and in time. So if we draw out first century challenges, what you realize is John is spot on for his day addressing who Jesus is to a people who said, well, Serenthus said maybe Jesus can't really be God the Father. John chapter 7. I'm not going to display it, but if you want to turn, go ahead. We're in John chapter 7. I'm going to read from verse 40 to 44. And it just gives you a little picture uh, about the challenges that the people are facing about Jesus. John presents that people have questions. When they heard these words, some of the people said, John 7, verse 40 and following, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Have not the scriptures said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid their hands on him. <laughs> people go, oh, we're not sure what to do with Jesus. We think he's a problem. We're not sure. Maybe we do nothing. And then people do nothing, but they just talk about it amongst themselves. Does that sound human or what? Not do anything, but just complain. Not fix it, not address it. Just talk about it at the table, at coffee, and at night before you go to bed. This sounds like 2019. Don't actually help in any way, just complain. People have questions about who Jesus is. And as John writes his gospel, he says, people are curious about who Jesus is. They want to have a cricket clicker identification of Jesus. Tell me if this is who he said that he is. Because there's not clarity about what's going on. Now, I said that there were seven I am statements that speak, and John then starts in a way different than any of the other gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke write in what's now called, looking back, synoptic gospels, because they write in a narrative form that most of you kind of like. How many of you like stories that have a beginning, a middle, and an end? Anyone willing to admit you like those? Yeah. Now, John's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, but it just doesn't read like a narrative. It's not, hey, left the house, got the item, returned home, resolution. Uh, John's writing differently. Go to John 1, uh, to turn to 7. We want to start right to realize John, in 90 AD, as he's addressing the likely challenge of Serinthus and others who say Jesus isn't actually God, or at least not God as Orthodox Christians would actually understand him, uh, meaning that he is part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal. Serenthus was completely opposed to that. So John starts and writes different than the other Gospels. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, some of you are like, wow, he writes sentences in some really long form, and there's a lot going on there. I agree. But what's important to note is John wants you to know at the very outset of John 1, Jesus has always been. Jesus was there when creation was formed. Jesus doesn't just pop on the scene in Bethlehem. Serendus's false teaching went so far as to suggest uh, that when Jesus was born, he was born not a virgin birth, he was just born, and then God came into Jesus. So there were huge holes that were starting to be poked at Christian teaching central core pieces of having a God who could come in and be fully human without sin. Instead, Serenthus was teaching, no, Jesus is a lesser God. He comes in. He's actually born of just a, a, of a, of a man and a woman. And, he said, and John wants to make sure, whoa, 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 we got to address this from the beginning. This is why there's, there's no birth narrative. There's just Jesus has always been. And I'll tell you more about him. But he's always been. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. There's very little room for flexibility here as to what John's up to. Uh, he's doing something completely different. Now, verse 14 goes further. Verse 14 is the verse that tells us not only is Jesus there from the beginning, but that Jesus cares to actually dwell with you, uh, that he is here. This is what many of you, uh, you can propel yourself forward to uh, Christmas. Ready? Here's like your Christmas in October. Yay! Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The actual Greek word, if you want to unpack it a little more, you could add another nuance to it, is not just dwelt, he tabernacled, which reminds us of the, this should be easy. Good, you guys got it. Yeah, reminds us of the tabernacle, of a God who actually wanted to follow with his people and said, hey, I, I want to dwell with you. I want to be with you. John knew this when he wrote. So he's connecting back these I am statements to remember who it is that God was from the beginning. And Jesus makes I am statements, which makes it clear he is the maker of heaven and earth. I am who I am. He's not accidentally using this phrase I am. Uh, he's drawing upon what Moses had first encountered. And until Moses knew who it was, what was Moses doing? Sweet, a bush, it's not burning. Then he realizes it and he goes, whoa, I am on holy ground. Uh, that's when he, with the sandals and untying and knowing what's going on and being aware. Uh, this is the person who comes into a church and just, you know, doesn't quite know what to do. Uh, and then they come to an understanding a month or two or three years later. They're kind of like, you know what? I, I, I'd like to make sure that I just, that I'm offering God my best in whatever way that looks to a person. But they just kind of, they came in the first time and they're in, in one disposition. And now when they come to church, they just realize, I, I am coming to offer myself to God. So I want to look a certain way, speak a certain way told you this before it's really amusing being a pastor with your neighbors when they say something they look at me and apologize i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i'm sorry i shouldn't say that around you <laughs> right because i'm not god ladies and gentlemen just to be clear not god i'm aware of his accounting i kind of know how that works but if you think that apologizing to me for something you're doing in your cursing world is really going to get you off I then figured out which neighbors were definitely not listening online to anything I've ever preached. <laughs> like, clearly, you, you've not heard that God's got bigger things in mind for your life than not cursing. I mean, it's in there, uh, but he's got bigger things uh, in mind. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. We've seen his glory. Think back. Moses. We've seen his glory. Now, certainly he's talking about having seen Jesus walking. But I'm sharing with you the theophanies or God's glory, him making himself known. It doesn't just happen in this gospel period. God has wanted his people to know about him for centuries and centuries and millennia. God's not been hiding. God is the great open secret. The greatest thing we could ever, ever have or receive is where? In this book that most people have set on their shelf somewhere. I had a meeting with Tyndall Publishers this week. They were, they were just sharing uh, something new, updating with pastors. Uh, the most recent studies say the average American has how many Bibles in their house? 4.5. Congratulations. Some of you said three. You've, you, you have upped the ante. 4.5 is the, is the current number. Uh, the Bible continues to be the greatest selling book of all time and continues to do so every single year. Uh, but there's something interesting about this book, right? It's not read. Uh, it, it's just not being read. And this is the joy of our congregation trying to break that mold. Let's actually read it. And some of you told me, having read the Old Testament, you've said, huh, actually not exactly what I thought would be in there. Turns out God just loves his people. And boy, they're stubborn. And then if you were honest, not that you were lying to me, you'd say, huh, I could fit in the Old Testament. Yeah, I could be right there. I won't tell you exactly which person. We'll just say I could be there. Well, the text continues as it moves forward, and these seven I am statements move to get us to understand who is God to identify him. As we have Thomas asking one question, Jesus responds to one of Thomas's questions and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. I'm adding this again. It's not there. No one. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In actually seeing Jesus, they had had the ability to see God the Father in his humiliation, in his human form, in his incarnation, through the virgin birth, who is fully man and fully God. John's trying to help, as one person in Bible class reminds us. It's kind of the creed. John is, in so many ways, pointing out to what will be known as the Nicene and Athanasian Creed. John doesn't write them. It's the church extrapolating, but to remind us, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is inseparable. And John wants that to be central to who we are. I and the Father are one, which to Serinthus, who in reading Deuteronomy 6.4, who said, here is the Lord your God is one, and Deuteronomy 5.7, you should have no other gods before me, what's Jesus do right here? He says to Serinthus, I agree, <laughs> there is one God, and you should have no others, because I and the Father are one. And John makes sure that that appears in his gospel because in 90 AD, this is a huge challenge. People think that Jesus is, is somehow less than God. He's not equal. He's kind of this human thing that can get you to God. If you've seen me, said Jesus, then you've seen the Father. Jesus is God. As he closes uh, in John 20, 31, these are one of those great moments when you read the Bible where I'm like, man, won't it be neat when we get to read even more? Here's what I mean by that. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and if I believe in you, may have life in his name. But what appears just before that? Anyone know uh, verse 30? 
kind of a, a fun little uh, piece that unfolds for us. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Imagine on that day when God calls you unto himself. On the day when your earthly life is ended and you have a chance to read all the other books. And I don't know if they actually get written. It says they weren't written in a book, but I'm sure that you'll have access to see God's full story. And you'll say, Lord, thank you for giving me every single thing I needed to identify who you were. Lord, that you through John, through Matthew, through Mark, and through Luke, you had a little cricket clicker. <laughs> and that if I were dropping in, parachuting into enemy lines, and didn't know who was with me or against me, if I clicked against that clicker to ask, am I before a friend or a foe, it would tell me, Lord, that you are my friend. As you walk through this world, it sometimes feels like you are in occupied territory. And there are times where it feels like you're being pressed against more and more and more. Uh, but you need to understand God has sent again and again and again his prophets, his teachers, and even his son so that you have nothing to fear. In Christ, our hope is found. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 9.30 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.